Hi there, I'm Michael Mara, and I am very lucky to be hosting uh, this latest edition of Community Conversations. I happen to be joined today by Connor Spurn, who is the Outreach Services Coordinator yes. for the Conquer Coalition and Homelessness. Uh, and I guess uh, I'll start by asking, how did you get into this role? I know we've seen you many different yes. capacities, particularly our, you know, we're good friends with you from Sippin. Yes. But uh, how did you get into this role here? Technically, Sippin is where it started. So mm -hmm. I started a new job in 2017. That was the sales job. It was my first big girl job. And one of the, the parameters of that job was I would go to business after hours once a month. At the first business after hours, someone introduced me to Concord Young Professionals Network. And they have a volunteer slot for the Friendly Kitchen on the second Sunday of every month. Mm -hmm. um, and I signed up just for the social aspect of it. And then it became, it was my first interaction with people who were just unhoused. And for whatever, whatever the instance was, I don't remember if it was the first time I went or the second, but I, it was just one of those, you know, you have the feeling that this is the path you should be on. Right, and just for people who might not know, what, what's the Friendly Kitchen? Oh, the Friendly Kitchen is Concord Soup Kitchen, so it's located on Commercial Street. Um, it's been around for a very long time. Um, and so we do several meals. So during the winter, we do three meals a day during the week and two on the weekend. Um, but right now, there's lunch and dinner on the, during the week and breakfast and dinner on the weekend. Excellent. And it's all, all right. volunteer run. Yeah, oh, so, I yes. know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's an amazing um, yeah. kind of way that they managed to get out so many meals I know. Uh, there. I think they have 54 volunteer groups. So. But I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, so, yeah I, I it's a lot. Your story, so. <laughs> okay. so I went there. It was my first experience with that. And so I started volunteering there regularly, eventually became a coordinator, and then joined the board of directors. Um, but just through that experience, just knew that my passion points were people who were unhoused, and I got to meet them on a personal level. So you do it for four years, and you get right. to know who they are and various stages of whatever they're going through. So um, I actually reached out to the past clinical director for Conquer Coalition and Homelessness, um, and I had asked her, what do I need to do to work for you? Um, I had done three seasons at the shelter at that point, also just volunteering. We have an emergency winter shelter that runs from December 1st to March 31st. Right. So that just closed, and that's actually the second half of my job is I, I run the shelter during those months. Okay. Um, and so I had volunteered there for three years and wanted to do more. And she actually reached out to me with the position I have now, which was funded by an angel donor. So it's an anonymous donor who's literally just paying for me to do my job for three years. Yeah, so, and then un unfortunately we lost Julie in October, and she was really a cornerstone of this, this movement, and everything that we're doing now has really been built by the work that she did. She worked there for three years, um, and so now we kind of just get to continue that, so, yeah. Excellent, excellent. And so, what, um, you know, I was reading a little bit on the, uh, the, the Coalition's website, and, you know, there's, there's a couple different types of homelessness. There's the the homelessness that is often episodic, that's kind of like, you know, I, somebody loses their job for a brief period of time, they're couch surfing, they're sitting, uh, um, you know, they're in a car, mm -hmm. but it's an episodic, start. and then there's the chronic homeless, and um, what, what sort of happens in a community which results in somebody ending up in and chronic homelessness. Right. So this is actually a large part of what my job was created for, is kind of collecting, in general, how many people are actually unhoused and conquered, mm -hmm. and what, how, how long have they been unhoused, are they chronic or, like you said, episodic. So 
Um, chronic homelessness is defined as someone who has been unhoused for four or more times for a period of 12 months or longer in the past three years. So we have a lot of people that fall into that. So there are people who are in and out. Um, and so if collectively over that time, it adds up to 12 months. Um, that's considered chronic homelessness. And the other side of that is um, people who, it, you have to have that, um, that length of homelessness and also what is considered to be a disability by HUD standards. So that includes people with a mental health disorder, um, a substance use disorder, developmental disability, physical disability, anything that would be long-term and could impact their ability to maintain their own independent housing or maybe keep them from getting housing. Um, so we have a list now that's called, it's the by name list that we're, we've been putting a lot of work into. So whether that's connecting with people who come to the resource center, which we see between 300 and 350 individuals every month, wow. um, unique individuals. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we track that through there as well, but there's people out there who don't access any resources at all. So whether that they don't know about it or they're not comfortable with it, um, they're out there. So a large, large part of my job is connecting with other organizations that are doing outreach. Mm -hmm. um, there's several in the area that all of these outreach workers are kind of starting with me at the same time. And so we're, it's starting to build up into this bigger picture I um, mean, every time we go out, we find somebody that we've never met before that doesn't know about us. So um, they're out there for sure. So, right. so how, how do you actually go about outreach to this community? Because as you said, it seems like some of this community oftentimes isn't, you know, we, we do see some homelessness very much out there, but it seems like a lot of this homeless community isn't trying to be right there, yeah. you know. Um, so how, how do you go about that outreach and define, you know, get an accurate count of people and make sure that they've got access to the, the resources that are available to them? Right. So we kind of build upon the knowledge that we know. So there's some encampments that are visible that some people may have seen, I think, in the past, like along 93 behind Market Basket, right. it's a larger one. That one's since been broken up. Um, but we kind of build off of that. So we kind of have an idea of where people tend to be. Mm -hmm. um, and there, from there, we kind of wander. So there's specific places that people who are living outside tend to, to end up. We call it the mainframe because they, the resource center is about a quarter of a mile from the friendly kitchen, quarter mile from the library. So they try to stay as close as possible, but in Concord, or actually I think in, yeah, in Concord, it's illegal to camp anywhere. Mm -hmm. So technically anywhere they set up is illegal and they, they will eventually be moved out. So we kind of just have to follow people as they go. A lot of that is rapport building. So the people we do see every day um, that come in, we we build a really awesome relationship with them. Um, and so, as, especially when the shelter ends, we kind of connect with people and say, hey, like, where are you planning on setting up? Um, just asking because I'm gonna come check in on you. So we can kind of follow them that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, we kind of have an idea of where people tend to end up. So we will just wander sometimes. Uh, we've done, I think two weeks ago, we did a six mile hike out just along the tracks in a certain area and out and in, and, and on that way we found encampments that we didn't know about, some that looked like they were abandoned, and then some that were newer. So we tend to just kind of work that way, and again, just asking other people where they might end up. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of that starts at the Resource Center. Um, Main Street is another great place if people are just hanging out, if they're busking or whatever they're mm -hmm. doing. So we'll just walk Main Street every once in a while and check in with people there. Um, right. Park and rides if people are living in their vehicle. Um, which they also tend to hop as well because you can't legally stay in one place in your vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of underlines one of the issues that we see is just, it's 
truly transient because people have to move frequently. Right. Um, and so sometimes there's inner conflicts within encampments that sometimes cause people to branch off. Mm -hmm. But I would say the relationship building is the biggest way that we're able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we keep our own records of where people are and we started our rotation. So again, with us new be being a, a newer, larger way to do outreach in Concord, we've kind of been strategizing around that. Right. Um, so we're kind of planning maybe like a grid system that we start reaching these areas that we've never been to. So mm -hmm. I think that's really where we're going to find people because we're only finding a small amount mm -hmm. of the people we know about in these right. known locations. So they, they have to be somewhere. So mm -hmm. we're kind of just working on that right now. Excellent. So, so when you do um, find new people or when you've got returning um, um, folks, what are the sorts of resources that um, you're offering to, to homeless people at the, at the resource center? Yeah, so the biggest one is laundry and showers. So, um, yeah, I guess you don't think about it. If you only have so many clothes, like you need to wash them and you need somewhere to do so. That isn't expensive. So we offer right. laundry services, showers. Um, people can come in and they can kind of just hang out and get a little bit of socialization. Um, whether it's, a, they can watch a movie, get a snack, mm -hmm. just relax, have a safe space to be where they're not worrying about where they're going to be next or what's happening. Is it raining? Um, so they can just get out of the elements and exist for a little bit. Um, so that's one of the biggest things I think is the most important thing we offer is just respite. Um, right. And giving somebody that safe space, again, opens them up into, um, it gives you the opportunity to do any further case management with them. Um, you really can't just expect someone right off the bat to want to fix their whole life because a lot of times it's overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. Even just getting your driver's license, that costs $10. So we offer services where people, if they want to replace their driver's license, um, we can do that for them. Birth certificates, um, getting their social security card, getting enrolled in any benefits they may be eligible for, food stamps. Anything like that, we, we try to work people with. But again, like you can't really, some people will come in gung-ho, they're ready to go, they want to do it. But mm -hmm. people who have maybe been out for a really long time or have tried and failed multiple times, um, if people's right. stuff gets stolen, because that happens. Mm. Um, so if, if their stuff is stolen, then they have to start all over again. Um, so we try to give them the opportunity to have less to worry about so they can focus on themselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so and along with that, there's obviously case management that happens. So if people want to get connected to treatment services, and we can help them with that. Medical, um, a lot of people are distrustful of the medical system. So we, we kind of try and bridge that gap for them or provide services that we can. So we, we frostbite. So if people, once they go to the hospital the first time, we, we, we will do, <laughs> we end up doing a lot of, you know, bandage wrapping or bandage providing, mm -hmm. um, band-aids in general, sunscreen, bug spray, um, just clothing in general if people need it. Um, and we offer actually a lot. And a lot of other yeah. services come to us. So we have rotations with Riverbend. So they have their peer support, um, their their undercover advocate, I think is what her name is, something similar to that. So she comes in and she just helps people with mail because um, that's another service we offer is allowing uh, people to use us as a legal address. So if they want to get something sent to them, like an ID, or if they want to get a job, mm -hmm. they need an address. So we, we right. allow them to do that as well. Um, so they, they'll come in and they use our resource center as a hub and mm -hmm. they're there on a specific day. So we can always help people plan ahead too of, hey, you need this service, they're going to be here on Tuesday from 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. So. That's it. Yeah, it's something I, you know, I had the opportunity to visit um, the resource center fairly yeah. recently, <laughs> and um, uh, that is something that you just don't think. And, and I think a lot of people don't think about the, you know, the whole why don't, why don't you just work why don't for you it? Just, yes. And <laughs> and 
when you don't have, you think if you lose your own wallet and you lost your driver's license and what a headache and how panicked you might get in that situation, what do you do when you're unhoused yes. and you don't have any of the things that are required in order to get that ID? So, I mean, it's amazing just to have a center where you can have a permanent address so that to get a job or to yeah. get an ID. Now, you know, with the pandemic and with the housing crisis, you know, obviously anybody that tries to rent or buy a house right now in Concord knows that it's a difficult process yeah. and it's a, a growing ex growing expense. Um, are you finding that numbers are starting to increase or that you're seeing a different sort of person, more episodic, or more people that are going from what would have been episodic into a chronic homelessness situation? Uh, are you seeing that more often? Or are you seeing definitely, that? definitely? Um, we're seeing. I can't speak fully to what it was before the pandemic, but mm -hmm. just speaking to my coworkers who've been doing this for longer, it's mm -hmm. definitely been an increase. We've been seeing people who have been housed in the same apartment for ten years. Mm -hmm. They're being evicted, so the person can do renovations and raise the rent, or they've raised the rent to match mm -hmm. market, um, and they just can't afford it, and they can't find anything else. So. We had people who are in wheelchairs, they're wheelchair bound, they've got a household income of $57,000 and can't find anywhere to stay, so they end up in our shelter, um, which is just, yeah. it's, it's a wow <laughs> moment. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's frustrating at times because mm -hmm. it's not something that we can just fix for people. Right. So it, 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 it's, somebody said to me one time, burnout isn't what you do for people, it's what you can't do. Mm -hmm. And I, I, sometimes we feel that, but I think we're at this opportune moment where especially in Concord, we've got systems in place and, and legislators are accessible, um, landlords are accessible, so you can talk to people and kind of try and fix it from the inside. Um, and we've got a team big enough and a team that's well-versed well and skilled that I think we have an opportunity to kind of address some of this. Um, so we have 20-something people right now with housing vouchers mm -hmm. that will pay for up to a certain rent amount, um, but state-issued vouchers are based off of two years ago's rent Ooh. medians that's so that is, <laughs> that's yeah, so it's nowhere close to what it needs to be um, finding people who are willing to take vouchers is also very difficult um, so we've started incentive programs that if someone is willing to rent to one of our people with a voucher we will pay an additional thousand dollars just to the landlord and an additional one thousand dollars in security deposit for any damages that may happen um, and the other thing we offer and this, I guess, will go to anyone who's watching this who has housing opportunities. We provide that case management ongoing. Mm -hmm. So as long as the person is living there, there will be a case manager. So even if people are just nervous about having someone who's transitioning out of homelessness, which is definitely a risk, um, just know that that risk is managed. Mm -hmm. um, and we tend to also um, field people for specific openings. So we know what people are capable of handling on their own. Um, again, because we have built this long-term rapport with them. We've worked with them to even get to the point where they can get a voucher, so we know where that they're gonna have a good fit and what's mm -hmm. actually going to make sense. Um, and so the other side of that, because we can't find housing, we invest in our own forms of housing. So right. that is a lot of where the coalition's money ends up, is we're investing in purchasing multifamilies and turning those into multiple units. So we have one on Green Street that I think a lot of people may have known about, that it was a big fundraising thing, it was the first one we did like that, ended up with four units. Um, that again, they're connected to our case managers, it's subsidized housing, but we can put basically whoever we want in there. And we've got really four sweet older guys in there. They, they call it the geriatric mm -hmm. unit, is what they call them. <laughs> but it's these men who probably never would have been housed otherwise, mm -hmm. just because of their 
medical histories or even criminal backgrounds, because things that happened 30 years ago will affect people up to now. So, and you, you're out there for 12 years, you can get really disheartened with that. Um, yeah, so, and sometimes it's just, it's better that way. Like they're, they may not be able to manage something that's like an actual landlord that's independent and, and anything like that. So I'm, it's awesome that we'll be able to do that. We just did another one on West Street yep. and I believe we're working on a third one right now. I don't know how much of that is public. I think it's on the website. It's, uh, yeah, I yeah there's so, been some stuff going Yes, yeah, so they just did the zoning for that one. So we've yep. got another one that will be, I believe, eight units. Mm -hmm. um, that'll probably be two years from now before that's happening, but that's eight more people we can get in. Um, that don't have to have vouchers. So those are different types of, of funding for those programs so we can put who we'd like to in there. Right. Um, because it takes, if you're on the Concord housing voucher list, so a, a, a voucher for just Concord, it's two to three years it, to be at the top of the list. Uh, New Hampshire housing is eight to 12. So it would take you that long even if you got on the list to even get yeah. one of those vouchers. And if somebody comes along and they've got if they, their determination of how long they've been unhoused or if their age or their medical conditions supersede you, then mm. they will be farther up the list than right. Um, so understanding the population we have, again, in getting that list that we can look at and we know who the people are, we can see where they might be prioritized so we know who we need to case manage. A, the most because they could be coming up for a housing opportunity or B, they're at the very bottom. And so we may just have to find other independent self-resolution housing like options for them. So it's very complex. Um, and that's what keeps it interesting, I think. It's just, you're ne there's never ever a dull moment. And we always talk about what we see in five hours at the Resource Center. It's like a lifetime. You just can't make right. it up. You can't I'm make sure. it up. Some of the stuff and it's I'm just. Sure. Yeah, it's hard not to really deeply love people that you get mm -hmm. to see at their worst and what's yep. arguably their best. So, right. Yeah. Right. And, and what has, you know, since I, I guess to kind of go to a, a positive note, what has been the, the most, um, I assume you've seen some people such as these four men over on Green Street have been lifted out of homelessness. What, yeah. what is your favorite story? Oh. If you've got one. All if of them are good. One. All I of them know. are good. Um, we have someone who was recently housed that um, she was very much self-motivated. I think the, the first time we met her, she, um, she, she was struggling a lot with mental illness. And mm -hmm. so when we first met her, she wasn't even, she wouldn't talk. So mm. didn't talk, had one outfit. Um, and she ended up she would kind of go between us and Manchester and she'd come back in the winter for our shelter. Mm -hmm. um, and so we knew her over the years. I remember her from the first time, year I worked at the Friendly Kitchen. And again, she just didn't really talk. And uh, so she somehow, I, I think it was in Manchester, she was given the avenue to get a grasp like on her mental health. So she was connected to the right resources, able to get her medicine regimen under control of what she needed. And so she's become this totally vibrant, bubbly person. Um, she got a voucher, uh -huh. a housing voucher. She found the landlord on her own and she advocated for herself because she felt empowered to. Um, and so she ended up getting housed and now she's coming in, she's asking for pink clothing. She's always wearing pink and she only ever wore one black outfit. And so now she wears really? pink and she comes in and she's just <laughs> smiling so big and, and she's just, a poster of what can happen for someone. Right. And, and the models across the state are housing first based for this reason. It's mm -hmm. getting someone inside because you can't really help them overcome anything else until they have stabilization. Right. Um, and, and that's psychologically true too, because if being homeless is trauma, 
-hmm. It's traumatic. And so people okay. are in constant cycles of tra trauma and their mm -hmm. amygdala, their lizard brain is mm -hmm. constantly firing. And so it's, it's scientifically proven that when you're in situations like this, you can't think farther than 24 hours because something could happen to you in the next two. Right. Something could come, it could be raining. You could get your tent like ripped up, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you can't find food. Mm -hmm. So pe it's hard for people to think beyond 24 hours. And they get hard on themselves for that too. And it's yep. like, why do I do this to myself? Why do I spend all of my money in one weekend when I have a whole month? And it's because they physically and mentally can't. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of have to help them find the ways that they can manage those 24 hours. And so they feel more inclined to be able to think about, okay, what can I do with this week right. that is going to help me in one month? And then going from one month to one, three months. And, mm -hmm gently being able to guide people for these longer time periods, but sometimes they've lived an entire lifetime of trauma from a child and have never learned these skill sets. Right. So you're coming, somebody's 57 years old and is learning for the first time that they are worthy of housing, mm -hmm. worthy of care, and once you get over that initial barrier, that's really the only way you're ever going to get somebody long-term stably housed and be able to maintain it, mm -hmm. is they have to feel that they are safe in that and that they're supported in that. Mm -hmm. And people who go through trauma have maybe burned all the bridges in their lifetime. And I think that's the greatest honor we can give as people who work for the Resource Center, is we get to take this person for their whole history, removed enough from the trauma that they've caused other people in their life or people have caused them and we can take them for that person that they are and a lot of times we're the only people that those people have we put together their memorial service if they pass away early because they don't have anyone right. so we're able to be that person for somebody who maybe never had it mm -hmm. and so sometimes that's all it takes um, it takes a lot out of us it, it's, yeah. it's heavy but it's so rewarding and we have an amazing team right now that just we all understand what each other is going through. We're all passionate about it. We're there because we want to be. We're there because we've known these people for a long time. And so we have the space mentally to grieve and, and uh, feel joy for people when they do it. And right. I think that is the most, I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else because how can you be more fulfilled than that? You can't. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place to work. <laughs> it's hard. Stuff happens that is just so crazy that you're like, well, I, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> but on the other side of that, sometimes like seeing that story, it's real. Right. It's seeing real. Something so wonderful. That yeah. You can't believe it's yeah. real. Yeah. And there's 284 people in Concord who need that. Mm -hmm. So right. that we know of. So I've got to imagine <laughs> a few people are inspired by your passion a little bit. Uh, so if, if people were kind of inspired by the passion and they want to help, what are the ways that, that folks can help? Um, um, I will give my nonprofit the, the, the one thing, money, <laughs> that we can do mm -hmm. things with because what we need changes on a daily basis. Right. Um, on our website, we have a list of donations that are ongoing of what we need regularly, mm -hmm. specifically like men's pants as we come into summer, bug spray, like I mentioned, bugs are horrible. So bug spray, sunscreen, water, underwear, things like that. We have those staples on our website. Mm -hmm. um, but even if like you aren't able to monetarily donate um, volunteering, we have plenty of volunteer opportunities, especially mm -hmm. when the shelter's running. Um, but otherwise, and I always say this to people too, is just think twice about the thought that you're having about someone. Because I know about myself too, like driving in Houston, Texas, locking the doors. That was, that was my experience with homeless people before I worked at the friendly kitchen. Mm -hmm. Lock the door. Don't look in the, in the eye. So even yeah. if you're just driving at a stoplight and someone is flying a sign next to you, 
just look at them through the window and wave at them. Because mm -hmm. you'd be shocked how many times like people will stand there for hours and no one even acknowledges their existence. And sometimes that's like their whole life. So mm -hmm. thinking twice about what you're saying, um, what other people are saying, and just if you take anything from this, just take the thought that this is a human with an entire life, an entire life that you know nothing about, mm -hmm. um, and that sometimes it really is just one person going out of their way to say, I see you and I see you for whatever you are, that it makes a difference. So, and it makes, our, it makes work for us easier when we're not fighting against a stigma that has been, you know, I'm not gonna say wrongly placed, but it's just been misinformed or it's only one side of it. Um, so just taking a second to acknowledge that person is really important, right. so. Acknowledging that they're, they're yeah, human Yeah, they're human. <laughs> and you're standing right. four feet from them. Yep. So yeah, so that, that's one I always, I always put on people. And I know that's hard. Um, but just try it. But <laughs> it's, it's a very helpful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it tends to make you feel good inside, yes. too. <laughs> yes. So um, if people want to learn a little more, too, about uh, where can they go to, to learn a little bit more about the um, Concord Coalition. Sure. Our website is ConcordHomeless.org. Mm -hmm. um, we have everything on there from just what we offer, our hours, um, what type of donations we take. But we also have our long-term plan, uh, our housing plan, so what our goals are long-term in Concord and, and what we're working and toward. And the goal is uh, to eradicate homelessness, Yes, right? to end homelessness in and Concord. And that is possible. And it is possible. It is possible. And Concord, I think, specifically has the means to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a community that's beginning to really stand behind it. So, um, and I'm so grateful that for whatever reason I'm we're like at this point of the curve we're like here and so I'm just so glad I get to be there for what while, while this happens because I do believe it will happen in my lifetime mm -hmm. and I get to be a part of it and anyone can be a part of it so yeah you're positive in it. <laughs> so, so very nice we, we like that um, and and it isn't a pipe dream either I yeah in, in that report that you're talking about they mentioned four other communities in the United States have eradicated homelessness it's not something that's impossible yes um, so and the woman who made that happen lives mm -hmm. in Concord that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. bad not a bad deal we work with her so yes excellent yeah well, Connor always a pleasure to have you here we're we're glad you could make it thank today. you thank you uh, and um, so thank you all for joining us for another episode of uh, community conversations and uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you.